This is a thing. You've poured your heart and soul into a business, a career, a relationship. But it's toxic. You're emotional. You're drained. You're not yourself. Yet you stay with it because you think it's worth it. You've invested so much. The sunk cost fallacy is absolutely a thing. And here is my story of how it impacted us and our cider company. And disclaimer, this might not be pretty. Hello, welcome to Courage and Other Sea Words. I'm your host, Jen Root Martell, and thank you so much for joining me today. At the top of this episode, I want to say that this one might be a little disheartening. I know it has been for me, or maybe not disheartening, but maybe a little painful. And I know this isn't a comedy podcast, and in listening, you haven't signed up for a light and airy subject material, but still, this one really took me a minute to put together, and I hope that it's more enlightening than depressing for you. Because I really, really want to talk about this topic, though I have struggled so much with how to approach it. And for a long time, I thought it was just me or just me and Alex who refused to look at the possibility of closing down the cidery because of all that we had put into it. I thought we were alone in having regular discussions about shutting everything down and just moving on, doing something else. It made me feel guilty and exasperated. It's definitely a little depressed. But recently, I have read testimonials and a few newsletters about the women struggling in the beer industry and how they feel trapped in a toxic space because of all the work that they have done to get there. I have to say it really took reading others' experiences for me to recognize that this was a state of existence. There's actually a word for it, and we were not alone in falling for it. There does exist a shared feeling of helplessness in situations like that, and, and I really need to talk about it, but I know it's hard. It's hard because no one likes quitting, straight up. And no one likes talking about quitting. No surprise there. But honestly, I don't think we talk about quitting enough. Especially in the scope of the very real possibility for business ownership. That things might just not work out. Or for others, the job might just not be a good fit. Or the relationship or the friendship might just be more toxic than you were expecting and you have to walk away. And all of those things are okay. Yeah, they can totally suck and they feel pretty awful. And yeah, maybe super disappointing as well. But sometimes it is the right thing to do to wind down your work, write a parting note, or close the doors behind you. It may even be the best thing for you to do for your health and happiness. And this feeling of being trapped, despite all of the blood, sweat, and tears, or some combination of, is called the sunk cost fallacy. And I now know that it is the very human phenomenon whereby a person is reluctant to abandon a strategy or course of action because they have invested heavily in it, even when it is clear that abandonment would be more beneficial. Thank you, dictionary.com, for that. Couldn't have said it better myself. And in reflecting on this episode, I actually didn't realize that I had dealt with this earlier on in my life with a good friend from college. 
just quick sidebar, we actually knew each other in high school as well, but became tight after graduating from University of Virginia. We had both moved to DC. We were getting our first jobs. I was in grad school. We went out a lot, enjoyed the city, and she ended up getting engaged, and I was her maid of honor. She had always been pretty particular and controlling, but I was sort of able to just kind of excuse it away or just put up with it. She, though, was an epic bridezilla, for sure. But most of the rage, I feel, was directed at the groom, so I never actually had to like bear the brunt of it, so it didn't really bother me that much. It was more just kind of painful to watch. But then it came to be my turn to get married, and I wasn't able to have her in my bridal party because, well, there's only a set number of people that you could even have standing with you, and I have family members and very, very, very old friends who I wanted there with me. And what does she do when I'm not around? She rages about it and about me to Alex, my fiance. So that sucked, but also it was sort of on top of lots of other incidents that we had even tried to like address with her over several dinners. It just, it was a situation where things were super toxic and I needed to get out and they don't really have a lot of resources out there for breaking up with friends, <laughs> which I feel is something that like really is a thing and needs to be talked about more because people do move in and out of your life and it's okay. Well, I, I did end up sitting down and actually I wrote a five paragraph breakup letter to her and it was so hard for me to write, but it was an immediate relief once I sent it out as if this huge albatross around my neck had just been removed. And no, I didn't have the guts to say those things to her face. But I think saying them at all was better for me in the long run instead of trying to keep this relationship going despite all these red flags. And she was a, just a total bitch and I don't regret it. But it is amazing how long it took to get me to that point because of all the fun times we had had how I was an important part of her wedding, even though, surprise, surprise, the marriage didn't work out. We worked so hard to justify things in our minds at the expense of our own sanity, health, and well-being. I just never really thought of it that way. And one would think that, since I had overcome this fallacy once in my life, that it would be less likely that I would get into a position like that again. Well, I think humans are especially programmed to not learn from our mistakes. For some reason, there's also something when you're jumping headfirst into starting and building a company, quitting is, of course, the farthest thing from your mind. In those early days, I think we got really caught up in our own enthusiasm. I don't think I know we got really caught up in our own enthusiasm for the product and just the prospect of starting something that we really neglected to ask ourselves some really important questions. Mainly, do we want to stay in California for potentially the rest of our lives to keep this company going? And is San Bruno even the best place for a cider company? Do they even want something like this here? Does it make sense to build a protection facility in a place where we might not ever be able to open a tap room on premises? We did all the market research for the cider that I've talked about ad nauseum on this <laughs> podcast. So we knew that there was a customer base, but I don't think we did enough soul searching and asking ourselves those just really tough questions. 
we had a passion for cider and all I wanted to do was make the best cider we could. And that's where we were at the moment. So it made sense to just build it there. And looking back, though, yes, of course, hindsight is always twenty twenty. There were definitely a couple of times where we should have asked really hard questions and reflected on our own mental and physical health and state of relationships with family and friends to see if what we were doing was the right thing. There were some low days. There were a lot of them, actually. And I believe that a more thorough reflection would have sent us down another path. At least I would like to think so. The first point was a year or two into hiring a salesperson to add to our team. Greg and I had been covering the whole bay where he took Oakland and San Francisco and I took pretty much everything else. It was a grind for us both. And since we were both doing production as well, in those early days, it was this mutually exclusive relationship where either the sales were really good one month or we made a lot of cider. It was never, there were not enough hours in the day for both of those things to happen. So adding a salesperson really took a load off of Greg to focus on production. And then I didn't have to focus on production, so it freed me up to do more sales and admin work, which was perfect. And we grew really well there at the start. But then we didn't. And I am not pointing fingers. I don't care whose fault it was or what the excuses were. That is absolutely not why I'm writing this. It's just me looking back at the writing on the wall and seeing what we maybe should have done and should have been asking ourselves. The relationship between the three of us was really fraying. Things were tense at home and at the cidery since we lived and worked together. So yeah, we probably should have asked, is this how we really want to be living right now or ever? And if we're hitting a sales ceiling and nothing we're doing seems to be working to break that threshold, why does it make sense to keep bleeding to keep it going? Especially as our salesperson was really expensive and was a huge investment. And we really did try to work and rework the sales strategy to keep building the brand. I mean, we went with a wholesale distributor. We tried to break into North Bay and Santa Cruz markets for sales. We rebranded our cans. We added seasonal ciders. But here we were, stuck in the sunk cost fallacy. That we had already put in hundreds of thousands of dollars, built a space, made a brand, invested up front in printed canned inventory. A lot of printed cans. Been able to snag this amazing salesperson from a larger company. All these reasons that we would come up with trying to talk ourselves into why we needed to keep it going while we were bleeding money. And the sales numbers month over month just weren't changing. So what do you do? Try to switch things up, do new things. So we went looking for investment money through a friends and family funding round to see if maybe that could take us to the next level, maybe we just needed a little bit more of an infusion of cash. A tap room seemed to be the best option for increasing sales, despite the insane amount of money we would need to build one out and move our entire production to a new location because San Bruno just absolutely did not want to have a tap room where we had our production facility for the reason that parking sucked. I don't know. I think they were just too lazy or overwhelmed with other things to deal with us. And for our investors, we pitched a really good story. And I still feel that if it had all worked out, it would have been a really 
amazing product that we could have put together in a new town that would have really wanted us and enjoyed the addition to its business community. And we raised a good amount of money from some wonderful friends and family who believed in us and saw what we did as a shining future for our product and our brand. We were so excited to just burst forward into a new community and expand our footprint in the market with a place to send people to for a pint of cider. And looking back, I know I wrote about the search for the perfect taproom space, but I think it was actually a blog post for our newsletter and not a podcast episode. So as a little bit of a spoiler alert for the taproom search episode that might need to happen one of these days, we looked far and wide, south of San Francisco on the peninsula, even down into South Bay near San Jose. There were a few options. They all fell through for one reason or another. It was really expensive to get the people that we needed to do the architectural drawings and project management and whatever nonsense we had to pay for. So here we were paying off our line of credit, some big inventory and juice bills and keeping the cider running with our investor money and no tap room. And yet the tap room was the plan all along. That was why we needed the extra infusion of money. We thought instead we just kept, bleeding because nothing had actually changed. And this was always sort of in the back of my mind on the darkest days. But after we did the funding round, we had locked ourselves into this company until it killed us. That was just our mindset. Because during those regular conversations Alex and I had in those years before the pandemic, we were struggling so much with our relationship with Greg We weren't growing in sales the way we needed to to keep pace with all these new cideries joining the market all the time. We had failed in finding the taproom space where we could change the course of our company. And yet, we had taken people's money. People we knew well and loved so much and who believed in us and trusted us with their hard-earned money. They needed us to make it work so that we could pay them back, plus some, so we could all make money. That was the point. And we just couldn't let them down. We just, we didn't want to disappoint them. But because of that, we failed to ask ourselves important questions. What was the state of our mental health right now? It was not good. How do we fix it? Where does starting a family fit in this when we still have a roommate and Jen is still not taking any pay from the company? We're definitely not getting any younger. Do we really want to live in this apartment in this city for the foreseeable future? No. And why are we not taking any breaks or weekends away or allowing time for things other than the company? On the plus side, we did, during this time, find Breakers, which is a diner in Pacifica, and became immediately weekly regulars, grabbing breakfast on Saturday or Sunday mornings and sort of using it as a sanctuary to hide from the world with our veggie omelet and my carafe of iced tea because I think after like a month or two they realized that they didn't want to make like five trips to the kitchen for tea refills so I just got my own pitcher those were some of the more favorable moments that I keep with me but here we were four or five years into a company that we loved that wasn't doing anywhere near the sales and production that we knew we needed to be doing And yet we were all strung out, sleepless, angry at each other, and the company continued to bleed money. 
not in arterial fashion per se, but it was only thanks to the investors that we were able to add a few more years to the business, honestly. And then, wait for it, COVID happened. And all you have to do is listen to episode one and or 14 to know that COVID was rough for this company. And if you're listening to this in any close to real time, you also don't need to be told how rough it was because you lived through it. It was rough for everyone, especially the alcohol and service industry. Man, we pivoted so many times during COVID and made it work as best as we could while also keeping people employed and the cans moving. I won't bore you with that story again for sure, but we had more employees now, more accounts, more accounts that weren't closing and desperately needed products to sell so that they could keep going. Yet, despite all these things, the feeling responsible to our people, our investors, and our accounts, we weren't asking ourselves the important questions. Like the world will be changed by this pandemic. Why do we think that it will be any easier for this company on the other side to keep functioning? We're still bleeding money. Even more so, I would say, since we were trying to keep everything going in the middle of a pandemic. At what point do you just stop the bleeding? Alex can work remotely from anywhere with his job. Why are we staying in California when we hate living here? It's expensive. After nine years, we still don't have that many friends. And we still haven't started a family. And it's all because we were completely caught up in this sunk cost fallacy. So we kept working at it. We switched gears. We merged with a local brewery, which was a combined force move, complementary skills, complementary revenue streams, et cetera, et cetera. You can see episode 35 for that and my explanation of it when I was more idealistic and excited about the prospect so that you don't get my current jaded perspective of that dumpster fire. And we poured all of our trust and hope into that merger. But little one had come around and we knew that we had to get back to family on the East Coast. And so we did, we moved. It was the one thing that we had done for ourselves in seven years of owning the company. And honestly, I don't think it would have changed the outcome of the merger falling on its face. It just would have happened with us still in Pacifica trying to raise a daughter in a place that we didn't like, surrounded by the other brands on the shelf that had actually survived the pandemic. Good job, you guys. Love you. Closing down the cider was literally the most heart-wrenching, hardest thing I have ever had to do. And yet, as soon as we got off the final call with John saying that the merger was done I think all I could do was cry but it wasn't out of pain or sorrow or anxiety cried because of the enormous guilt I had of finally feeling free of just being done with this whole thing and I felt guilt that I was relieved that this had happened and that someone else had done what I couldn't do for years. They called it off, shut it down. Someone else gave me the reason why I had to say goodbye to my employees and my brand. And therein lies the sunk cost fallacy at its heart. Because of all the blood, sweat, tears, time, money, other people's money, and love we put into this company, we couldn't see how it was grinding us down. 
adding a little bit of a wedge between Alex and me because I just was living it 24-7. And I, I know he felt sidelined a lot. And that relief that I felt showed me what I should have seen for myself over the years. That I was not living a happy and healthy life and was missing out on being a mother. Just a role and a job that I now treasure so much. One great example of kind of the impact that this was having on me that I didn't even realize is when I was able to get Madeline into a daycare here in Maine a couple of days a week, they have this app where you sign up and they, it allows like direct messaging to directors and teachers. And it's also a place to like get newsletters and event notices. Well, it's also a place where when they're at daycare, the teachers post pictures of nap time or lunch time or activity time, snack time, playground time. Several times a day, these notifications are coming through. And my phone kind of immediately, as soon as I dropped her off that first day, just was constantly buzzing. And for the first couple of weeks, I was getting mild panic attacks because I had been so programmed that the reason I was getting notifications was because something had gone wrong or there was a question that I had to drop everything and answer or an account that needed something or someone had broken something or there was something wrong with the delivery or someone had hit something with the van. Someone had been in the van and was hit by someone else or the company credit card wasn't working or there wasn't any money left on the parking card. It was just always something. Always something I had to deal with. And it took me a lot of time to not immediately go into panic mode or get stressed when my phone blew up saying that Madeline had started her nap. I still sometimes have this PTSD-esque response when my watch buzzes. That is how tightly strung I had become. And I know I was like that for years. I've been asked by several business owners, what made you finally make the decision to close down? And as I said, it was a huge relief that it wasn't me who had to make that decision. That is my answer to most of them, which I know isn't very helpful. However, knowing what I know now, there were definitely several times when we should have looked hard in the mirror, prioritized our time and mental health, and just cut our losses and walked away. Of course, this is so much easier to say than to do. And I will definitely be the first to say that if I had had the chance to tell my past me all these things, I'm pretty sure that past me would not have listened anyway. But I felt the need to put this out into the world in case it helps someone else in this position. It might be just carving a little more time for yourself or making some sales pivots that can change the direction of your health and happiness in your business. But too often we push forward and ignore ourselves and all of the red flags, all of the writing on the wall. One of those things that pushed me into sitting down and actually writing about this super heartbreaking and painful topic is that, kind of what I said at the beginning of the episode, I have recently read 
too many accounts of women in the beer industry who are having this same problem. That has helped me truly understand and appreciate that Alex and I weren't the only ones, that you don't have to be the business owner. You don't have to be in charge or responsible for anyone to have this fallacy impact you. Women have to work so hard in this country. We have to do so much, twice as much of the work for a fraction of the pay and recognition. For the most part, we're pushing against a time-honored old boys club infrastructure that is perfectly comfortable being what it is. And women who have worked so hard to get where they are or learn what they have learned are finding themselves in toxic environments with horrible bosses or toxic relationships with horrible significant others. And because of the blood, sweat, tears, money, love, whatever, they believe that it is where they must stay to make it all worth it. But that is absolutely not the case. And I should also point out, it's not just women. Of course, everyone, all humans, are potentially vulnerable to this situation. So I guess I do need to say that. I just, as a woman, I felt the need to say it that way. I guess what I'm trying to say is that the sunk cost fallacy is absolutely a thing, and it can be quicksand. It happened to us for many years. And no, I, I absolutely do not regret all of the amazing people I met or the products that we made, the company that we built. And we did have a lot of fun over the years, and I really, really enjoyed and just now miss dreadfully the community so much. But I just wish I wouldn't have put my life on hold to keep something going that wasn't going to work out. It's so hard in the moment, giving up all that you've done just to switch gears and do something new. But I hope that it makes you take a moment every now and then to make sure that the relationships in your life are what you need. The job that you have is something that brings you joy. And that things that you are doing are for your own good. I get it. These are super hard questions. But it's more important that you are happy and healthy. There's always another job or another town or another love. You are just your most important asset. And we need to treat ourselves the best that we can. So thank you. This one was a hard one to get through, but I so appreciate the support of everyone and I appreciate you listening to this today. I hope it helps. And that's a wrap. Thank you to Tony Stuck for the awesome intro outro music and to Marianne King for the amazing pod art that you see on every episode. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review to help out this podcast. Five stars goes a long, long way, and I so appreciate the support. I know it says write a review, and that can be daunting, but apparently Apple isn't asking for a novel. A simple, hey, what's up? Cider is awesome. That would be more than fine. And for more information about me and this podcast, visit us. (laughs) 